sing as one for this country we're walking on we stand together to protect this land for the future we're hand in hand welcome to another episode of the environmental as anything podcast um we've just had uh Dr. Kevin. Kevin Glencross has come in to join us in the studio. Thanks for coming in, Kevin. Great to see you, Sean. Yeah, Yeah, welcome. Good to have you in. Thank you. I'm going to read from your bio just to give everybody an idea of why you're here. Uh, Dr. Kevin Glencross has been actively involved in the replanting of forests for over 25 years with particular interest and expertise in carbon sequestration, design and monitoring of biodiversity, environmental plantings, timber plantations and mixed species forest systems. He's actively involved in reforestation, agroecology and agroforestry research programs in Australia, China and the Pacific region since 2007, specialising in integrating agriculture and trees, restoration of degraded land and building rural livelihoods. Kevin's currently involved in projects that look to link reforestation to broader environmental services, reducing erosion, protection cat- protecting catchments and building soil fertility, ecotourism, food production. He's also been involved in designing, establishing and managing large-scale tree planting programs as well as ecosystem restoration programs for community-based groups, Subtropical Farm Forestry Association, government agencies and industry, Water and Carbon Group, Million Trees Project, Brisbane City Council. So... Quite a CV there, in, in a nutshell, Kevin. As I said in your intro before, we uh, earlier in the show, you know, one of the unsung heroes, I think, of the environment movement, haven't actually, uh, uh, you know, been uh, been a, a an activist environmentalist, just been out there physically doing it in the field. That's uh, you know where it counts. How did you get started with that, mate? How did that start? Well, I guess it started at university in Wollongong in the early nineties, and I guess I'd grown up in Melbourne. And so I hadn't had much sort of experience in rural, rural parts of the, the, our landscape, but certainly was keen to come and have a look around and, and really experience life outside a city. And at the university in the early 90s, it was really becoming aware that, you know, we had some serious issues to deal with. And I guess, like most young people, found it a bit overwhelming. So in my early 20s, sort of planned to, to just buy a block of land. Yep. So... Um, Like so many of us up here? Absolutely. It's a very common story. Mm. And um, my parents were living up here. So they, with their help um, and a young child on the way, we we got a block of ground, eight acres between Kyogle and Nimbin. Beautiful. And and basically it is beautiful. It was um, rainforest originally, then cut for dairy and then beef. And so by the time we got it, there was one grand old brush box at about 1.6 metres in diameter yep. and a couple of old pines. But apart from that, it was lantana and, and you know, it had yep. been just pasture, sort of regenerating. Mm. So just gone on a shovel for about 10 years, <laughs> basically a shovel um, and a brush cutter. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Had You know, I had the young family, so, um, you know, that suited me. I could spend a lot of time at home looking after the young one and also collecting seed and getting all the essentials in place to to basically try and make at least that bit of dirt that I was on better. Yeah. 
Well, you've obviously tweaked to something which is now becoming, uh, you know, like common wisdom that, that, that planting trees is one of the, the most effective things that any individual could do for the environment. Uh, I mean, we had uh, Kristen Denexter, who you must know, come yep. in the other uh, uh, week and uh, do a great interview, sitting in that chair right there. And she said that 13 trees per person on the planet was what was, you know, really the, the, they reckon was what was required. So uh, you're well above your 13. Do you have a tally? Do you know how many you might have planted by now? Or personally, personally planted with its, on a shovel by myself, probably, I don't know, 300,000. Oh, Lord. I guess something like well, that. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. <laughs> but and that's then, that's involved. You know, that's been um, sort of some of that's monoculture plantations where mm. I've just been doing piecework with mm. a with a shovel and also facilitating. You know, getting grants in order to plant the trees. So we had a large grant here that um, we planted, um, or the the project itself planted uh, two hundred and fifty thousand trees plus facilitating regeneration in the Tweed, some areas up the Sunshine Coast, but mainly in this Richmond Valley. Yep, yep. So what's the uh, the current project? What's occupying you, you right now? Well, at the moment, I'm sort of trying to build some linkages between the tree planting and the whole notion about the services that forests provide. Mm. So, you know, we are, we're all aware of the the carbon storage. You know, the trees do, a, a, you know, basically taking carbon out of the atmosphere and fixing it as wood. So obviously that's one thing which I'm really keen to get an understanding of. And it seems a fairly simple sort of principle, but you'd be surprised there's not a lot of actual direct measurements about what's happening. And also I'm interested in what's happening in the soil. So mm. it's pretty easy to measure the above ground biomass, but what we've done is we've actually been doing stuff like cutting trees down mm -hmm. in plantations mm. and break, cutting them into little bits and weighing them Yeah. so that we can actually get a, a really good idea of we can w usually work out how much how much wood is in the stem, mm. but then the things like the branches and leaves. So we've actually been doing that sort of work for about seven or eight years. I mean, it's fairly laborious, but yeah. it does help to get us a really good idea. And it's surprising, you know, we've got a lot of generalisations about what trees can do in terms of their ability to sequester carbon. Yep. But actually, in the subtropics, the the models that we've been using underpredict. Really? And, yep. And then if you by add, what kind of factors? What are we talking well, about? Well, it, it, it's it's getting better um, by quite often. Um, if you use some of the old models, it would say at about twenty years you might have a hundred or so tons of carbon carbon dioxide equivalent. So no, it's not bad. Yep. But it's actually can be up to three times that. Really? Well, yeah. Three yeah. times. That's yeah. A, that's and and so there's some really good opportunities. I think. One of the things that, you know, I, I, I think is essential is that if we're going to convince governments and farmers, landholders to, to get on board, they're going to need to know fairly clearly what, what can we achieve mm. and only then can you really market it, you know, like can we really sort of put a value on it. You know, obviously the, I got really inspired in about 2007 to 2009. There was a real movement that before the the global financial crisis, there was a lot of interest in carbon, carbon trading, and, carbon so trading yeah. and, and, and more broad, broadly what was going on. And the GFC really pulled yeah. the, wool, the, the carpet out. I mean, yeah. So um, when I first finished the PhD, had the great opportunity to go into some of the boardrooms like uh, Consolidated Holdings. They were the largest private landholder in the company, in the country, sorry. And I was working with a group who was got in, spoke to their board, they were on, They were keen. They mm. owned all this land. They could see that they could, 
still produce their beef, but they could also have this secondary product, which was they could account for the carbon that they're sequestering and they could make decisions about management based on if that was given a real value, then they were going to... You're going to privilege it. Absolutely. They were going to make that a part of their, their business model. But, you know, the uncertainties around the whole... When Tony Abbott came in, obviously, that carpet's pulled out. And once you once that confidence being broken, it's very hard to yeah. rebuild it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So is... Are there any mechanisms now for farmers to be able to uh, to, to make uh, you know money off, off their trees? I mean, I, I you know you know my kids. You know uh, they're uh, uh, one of the one of the, the the least green human beings that I ever knew was their, their grandfather Jim, uh, who was who was just coincidentally the uh, One Nation candidate for Wide Bay Burnett uh, twenty <laughs> odd years ago. Uh, it, it turns out that he's actually the greenest person I know because he's turned his whole farm over to tree planting and he's he's making money off some sort of scheme that's that's returning him. For, for I think for carbon, yeah, and then he's covered all of his uh, his farm shed roofs with uh, with solar panels, and he's been getting when when the the feed in tariff was high, and in fact built another huge shed where he could go and put more solar panels on. So this this bloke who's a cantankerous uh, old, old bugger, who's who's great, whose favourite pastime is to to sit there complaining about the Aboriginals, um, is is probably uh, doing more for the environment than just about anybody else that I know. But for purely economic reasons, purely for economic reasons, for absolutely, if you called him a green. Volumes, he would spit in your face. Yeah, yeah, Seriously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I mean, there's a lot of people out there who don't want to be seen to be greenies, but they do want to do the right thing by the environment. How can they get... I mean, we, we like to think our listeners are probably like considerable number of farmers out there listening in. Mm-hmm. What can they do? Well, I guess... Uh, in How a way, can they cash in on this? That's well, the, yeah. this is one of the big challenges where when you go west of the divide, large parcels of land, you can make the carbon work. Mm. Um, there is a carbon trading value at the moment. There is... Under the Emissions Reduction Fund, they've been selling carbon credits, so it's a, a mandated system. It's The regulations around it are really tight. Mm. So if you're east of the divide on a small land holding, it's really hard to get involved because right. just getting into the system requires a lot of paperwork and you need to have a high volume, high turnover to be able to participate. So one of the things I'm keen on is to break down those barriers in terms of the entry is really, really difficult. So, you you know, basically in, in this part of the world, you need a project of about 600 hectares, you know, over mm. a 1,000 acres yeah. to make it just to be able to begin to enter the market, which means there's very few landholders who are, are going to be in that position. Any, so that's prospect, a, that, sorry. any prospect for cooperatives and collective um, yeah. farmers pooling? Yeah, and I think that's really the mechanism. You, it's a bit like organics. You can do a group certification as long as everybody's sort of following the same recipe. Yep. Um, and you can get some sort of support in terms of doing the, the auditing because the auditing, I mean, as soon as you get auditors involved, you know, you might as well just, you know, start tearing up 20s, you know, right. like it's, <laughs> it's really expensive. So, so what we need is a, a system where we can actually share the costs of getting into the system and the costs of the auditing and that's what, more or less what I've been trying to do for, the, say, the last decade is we've got some plantings in place. That uh, project I was, I was saying, we planted we, about 500 hectares. Mm-hmm. Um, we were hoping to get a group aggregation, you know, get everybody who's, who'd planted those trees. It was government money that put those trees in. Mm. Um, but at that stage, you needed to lock up that particular parcel of land for 100 years right. and it needed to be uh, registered on the title. So right. if you were, had a, a mortgage, you had to go to the bank and say, mm. look, you know, unlike any other stock that you might have, if you put cattle on there, 
avocados, mangoes, there's no barriers to entry. If you mm. want to put forest things that should be there back on there, you've got yeah. a, a huge barrier. So they're you, making it as difficult. They made it as easy as possible to, to actually clear the land and they're making it as difficult as possible to, 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 to reforest it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, I think that it's well-intentioned. Like, you know, the road to hell is paved with good, in, you know, good intentions. <laughs> so the idea was to try and make it as rigorous as possible and I think we want that. I mean, there's been a lot of criticism of offsetting and I, I can understand why. It's mm. seen as a get-out-of-jail-free get card. Yep. yep. Um, I guess I sort of think it, at least if we can begin to value trees for carbon, that's easy to measure. Mm. And then there's the other things of biodiversity and improvements in water quality and uh, I guess resilience, particularly in a catchment like ours, which is prone to damage from floods. Mm. Yep. So one flood. The, I lived on the river here, this beautiful river out here, much maligned, but a very beautiful, beautiful thing that we have. Um, yeah. And it runs red. It bleeds Every yep. time we get a, a large fall and unfortunately it's hard to capture the imagination of people, you know, like CSG, people will walk the streets for CSG and our poor river that's bleeding sediment will never get that back, yeah. you know, or it takes yeah. tens of thousands of years to get that back. Mm. But it's very hard to get people to kind of stand up in the street with a placard and say, mm. you know, like we can't keep continue to do this. This mm. is our future that's mm. washing out. And On the other hand though, a dollar figures very heavily in most people's mind and um, if you can wave a dollar around and make it possible for them to make a dollar out of doing it, everyone's interested. Absolutely. And I think too it's one of the issues, the challenges we have, why I'm particularly interested now in things like the regenerative agriculture yep. is we can we know the value of nutrients, we know the value of organic material. Most farming systems now um, are forced to mine that. You yes. know, so agricultural systems essentially mine those natural resources yep. in order to produce a dollar. And, and you know, that's the system we've set up. So if we're going to... Farmers have a great capacity to also be on the other side of the ledger, adding yeah. carbon, adding nutrients to the soil, but the mechanisms for rewarding that are still under development. Yes. So that's what I'm devoting my research career to, measuring those, quantifying those, getting them so the government can understand it, and then hopefully through activism, through farmers, landholders, understanding that this is something they're doing but they're not getting paid for it. So mm. they're providing a service and, like, and it's, it's, it's like this across the board. If you're caring for disabled, if you're caring for the old, you're usually on a fairly poor yep. kind of reward. Childcare, so land care. It's the same, <laughs> same thing. So we, we suffer a little bit from that same sort of issues around those jobs that are really critical um, and do try and deal with some of those more um, kind of endemic problems mm. that compromise our future, it's very hard to get that to pay. Yeah. So I guess if we can find some mechanisms, biodiversity is another one. You know, biodiversity, you know, we, we mentioned off air about the koalas. So I'm involved in planting with a, a local tea tree processor. So Golden Grove Naturals, they, they produce a whole lot of... Um, tea tree and tea tree oil. So they've got mountains of mulch. They've got 1.2 kilometres of riverfront. They sort of are in a great position in Tucky, in the Tucky Tucky area, to provide corridors that link particularly that river and, you know, to provide little corridors in order to maintain koalas and allow them to move. That's right. one of yep. the big things is well, as soon as you start fragmenting forests, fragmenting um, any remnants... Mm. 
then that's something we can do. Farmers are quite happy to hand over small bits of land, but it does involve a bit of an integrated process mm. and making those linkages. So work is happening. I think we are. I think I can really... I'm, I'm an optimist. Yeah. You know, I really feel like, you know, we haven't, we've made a lot of mistakes, but I think we, we've got a pretty good idea of what we need to do to sort some of this out. I think we will find that there will be markets for environmental services developed because they're real goods and services. Well, they, they are actually a value, aren't they? And when they they're are. gone, they can't be replaced. That's so right. we, we, we certainly need to, to, to value them somehow. Yeah. I mean, I've said that. I mean, I've been involved in environmental activism for various for 30-odd years, about the same time as you, really, but uh, on a different front. The, uh, the it's, always, it's actually a problem of accounting. The fundamental problem yeah. with the environment has always been that, 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 we don't, that we don't account for those, what they call externalities. Do we? Yeah. So that's kind of really what you're doing is, is trying to count those things yeah. and, 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 and help to assign... Uh, their true value to them yeah absolutely and i think too the the other thing that i'm really mindful of is it's got to be efficient you know mm. it's got to be as cost effective uh it takes a fair bit to raise a seedling um you know so again having um you know a, a system that really tries to maximize at every step whether it's the seed collection the planting the management mm. trees are like kids you know it's mm. You can go and plant a tree. That's fun, mm. you know. Just like having, you know, making kids is fun. It's, <laughs> it's that long-term actual managing that, growing yeah. that, and Keep, looking after, caring, keeping yeah. the weeds at bay, keeping it from burning down, keeping it watered. Absolutely, and and this is where again, I I, I think I'm an outsider. Keeping the cows from eating it. Well, that's right, <laughs> and and this is where you have you have all these barriers. And as a bit of an outsider, um, to you know, I sort of work quite often outside of my own catchment and outside of the community networks that are really trying to enable this. And and while that's negative, you know, I'd like to be more engaged with my community and, and doing things closer to home, it also gives me a different perspective. You know, I get to go to work in the Pacific, mm. Melanesia, in Vanuatu and Fiji, particularly in Vanuatu. These are, you know, I get to work with people who have never been alienated from their land. Yeah. You know, they mm-hmm. have these systems of... Um, agricultural systems, they provide, they have annual crops, they have trees, they have a whole kind of complex ecosystem that provides them with food and it also shifts through the landscape. So Mm. I think I've learned a lot from that experience. So I get to to travel, you know, for for over a decade now Mm. and then try and what I've been trying to do with the research effort through the the Southern Cross Uni here um, is to understand you know, the basic mechanisms mm-hmm. of what's working, but also to try and introduce um, tree species, local tree species that have fantastic nuts, mm. fantastic fruits. Mm. Um, and they've been selective. They've been selected over thousands of years. They've been left in those systems because they provide this, this when the cyclones come, they've got this food security. Yep. So they have a really resilient, you know, if the world gets... You know, worst case scenario, these people—that's where you want to be. Mm, you, know, yeah, you don't want well, to be in Sydney. You want to be. Yeah. You want to be in Santo. In you want to be in <laughs> Basically, want to be in an intact uh, indigenous community, still living on the in, in, a, in, a, in a, a sustainable manner on its in its own land, don't you? Yeah. And, and it, it's a great opportunity to go and learn and to see that. And what they need as well, like at the moment, the biggest pressure on them is keeping their young people um, in within that sort of. Um, community mm. and that's the same everywhere it's the same it in Lismore is. we mm. lose yep. our, our young people you know mm. how do we 
How do we encourage young people to stay on the land and to see land stewardship as something valuable and worthwhile? Mm. And so for me... It's probably by providing economic returns on exactly, it, really, isn't it? It is. And, and you know, they, they have the opportunity to go to the city and work in a hotel or what they have is they have this fertile land in Vanuatu, Fiji. They import huge amounts of food for the resorts mm. So and building materials. So now these economies, they've been... Col- big chunks of them have been colonised. Yep large areas around the periphery haven't. Mm-hmm. So you've got this really interesting kind of interface between traditional economies and the global economy. So for me, I get the opportunity to step between those worlds and really get a sense of what what works on both sides of the fence mm. and what can we... And so if we can find nuts and fruits and, and um, cropping systems that are of the highest cal- calibre mm. and these guys can do it, then they've got something they can take to market and they it's a it's these are traditional products so they have a story as well mm. and i think in a world where those stories have been fragmented much mm. like our vegetation <laughs> these are intact so mm. we have this wonderful opportunity so we're looking to to really generate um, industries local industries with local players so we help them with setting up the plantings mm. collecting the genetic material We've got these species that grow across the Pacific, particularly the nut species. They've got fantastic timber, fantastic nuts. So we'll try and find the ones that have the highest oil content. Um, There's a great deal of variation. And obviously try and find those ones that you can can market. Yeah. And there's a huge demand for the oils, for for cooking, um, for cosmetics. It's a really high-end. Oh, yeah. And the other thing that's really valuable about oils, both... And here and and anywhere really anywhere that's away from a market, you know, we're a long way from the US and mm. Europe, which is really where where things happen. Mm. Things like oils are really good. Yes, yeah. so you take two tons of raw material, you turn it into twenty liters of, right. of high value oil, and so in terms of the environmental footprint, you're selling that. Yeah. Twenty kilos can go on a plane. Plenty you know, of examples yeah. of people getting rich selling oil. Uh, you know, yeah. whale oil, uh, you know, yeah, uh, yeah, fossil fuels, and, and even palm oil is obviously much closer to Especially palm to oil home. today, yeah. yeah. So how does, how does what you're doing, uh, you know, feed into that uh, issue? Do you have a... Well, I know? mean, uh, the, the great thing this has is this is an endemic species, so we're not bringing African yep. palm. Um, mm. we're not, we never do them in monocultures. We mm. do cropping in between them. So, again, it, you, to take on palm oil, you've got to come up with a viable alternative. Yeah. These, 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 this particular nut is called... Uh, Nali nut or nungai, um, in it grows nungai. right through P- PNG. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. Mm. So, in order to take on those large commodities, you need to give farmers some alternative crops. They can't sure. work in the in those fine margin crops. You can grow a little bit of cocoa and coffee and that sort of thing, and that's what they do in PNG, and that's what they do in in Vanuatu. Is they have some of those cash crops, but put in some of those tree crops as well. The tree crops hold the soil together take the carbon out of the atmosphere, p- 
provide those resilient kind of crops after the cyclone, so they're really worthwhile. It sounds fantastic. You'd have a fair lag time, though, getting the crops up through to the canopy and um, producing. That's it, and that's the burden of being a forest grower. You know, yeah. like, you know, like, I mean, it's a really big challenge. How do you convince people to t- put in work, money, set aside land now mm. for some benefit in? 7, 10, 15, 20 mm, years. That's mm. always been the problem with tree crops. It is. Or timber crops. That's you sort of have to work at the other end of the market too, so you have to have the consumer educated to want those products yep. so that the farmers know that there's a, um, an economy there when they get there. Well, the other thing is if we can get carbon valued, then you mm. can grow these trees and you can get that return As, early. Yep. Mm. So I was reading something about from your, uh, uh, your, your your publication history about uh, the macadamia uh, industry and, and, and carbon sequestration. So that, that's a, I guess knowledge that you've taken across the board to this other yeah yeah these other fields. So so what is the story there with with nut trees and fruit trees? Are they actually sequestering carbon for us as they go? They yep yep they over can, the whole life cycle of the product. Yeah yep yep. So what we were looking at was we were looking at the amount of carbon that's tied up in the in the tree itself. Plus, I guess the the embedded energy and a whole range of factors in terms of the production cycle, and um, again, this this work is a it's quite preliminary. You know, it it, w- it could do with good follow up, but you're looking at around about three tons per hectare per year in a macadamia situation. So, and if you uh, I've been working a lot in these mixed species um, plantations, rainforest plantations, you're looking at. 20, 25 tonnes per hectare per year of biomass. Right. That more or less equates to a, you know, a tonne of carbon dioxide taken out of the atmosphere. At the moment, the price at the auctions for the carbon credits is about 11 bucks. Right. A tonne. Right. Anything from 11 to $13. But way back in 2008, we were looking at $23 a tonne. Yep. Yeah. So at $20, $20 per year, at uh, 20 tonnes at 20 bucks, that's $400 per hectare per year. That's a pretty good return on investment. And yep. how, much, how much are they getting per hectare from the macadamias? Well, they're doing pretty well at the moment. The nuts, the price of nuts is, is high. Right. So again, what, what? A lot more than four hundred. Yeah, yeah. But, but still, four hundred dollars is not to be sneezed at. It's not. And again, if you look at the costs of what it costs to establish that system, if you actually do a full life cycle analysis, you'd probably find that actually um, some of these mixed cropping systems and perennial systems would stack up mm. but again we need that information so we're only just beginning to get that so obviously you know that's a i'll commit myself to that oh. <laughs> while i'm still kicking around good on you vitally important work and, and there must be as i say local farmers out there listening thinking wow i'd like some of that uh is there are there ways that they can get involved and how can how can a local farmer who's listening today go oh you're right i'm going to do something about this well, I think um, farmers usually have quite a bit of their landscape, which is, you know, it's steep, it's marginal for whatever reason. Um, and so the thing that they can do is they can set aside parts of their land that works for them. You know, it's not like you're trying to push people out of one industry into another. It's mm. more like those bits of your land that aren't don't stack up as nut farms or as grazing, mm. um, they can be set aside for this other, other use. I guess at the moment it's hard to, you know, um, you know, you do need a little bit of support. Mm. Um, so um, we are hopeful that in the in you know that we will see mechanisms that will allow farmers to participate, and it will take a bit of community action. And this is where I need to kind of you know get together with people like yourself, mm. Sean and Jeff, who are activated people who have networks. I mean, I do a, I do a lot of work 
kind of in the shadows. And so it really does take then, once you've got a story, mm. to step out and then try and create some interest and look how people can participate, what are the barriers, you know. Mm. These mm. are policy barriers quite often. Yeah. You know, so well, the big the big picture is that we need we need major policy changes across state and federal uh, arenas, local government as well. I presume that needs to be to be tuning its uh, its policy prescriptions to ensure that these uh, that these these there are, are less barriers to entry for all of these uh, you know the tree planting and, and uh, multi cropping that you're talking about. Sometimes uh, this has to be sort of led from the ground up. Like the people at the ground have to be pushing the politicians because the politicians are never going to lead mm. um, unless if, if the farmers are saying we need this, um, it may happen whereas the politicians aren't going to invent it. Mm. That's the hit, it, hit the nail right on the head, you know, and that's it. It's the best way to get the sort of policy that's going to work for farmers and landholders is for them to drive it. Mm. Yes. And, you know, at the moment, you know, Australia's done, a, you know, like a really good job. You know, we had some, we had the second carbon legislation on the planet. Yes. yes. We did, you know, if you go to all the greenhouse uh, accounting systems in the world, you'll find Australians who have really pioneered that industry. Um, the problem's been that, the policy has been driven from Canberra and, and, and they've been doing the best they can, you know. They're, they've got a job to do, but it really does need to come, like you say, from the grassroots back, you know, and, 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 and to get things that work for farmers in terms of how you account for the land, how you might um, address that land and give farmers the flexibility. Like when you've got rules that say you can't clear this for 100 years, hmm. farmers are just going to go, well, I don't want that. You know, well, if they're going to be yeah. told they can't clear it for 100 years, they need to be properly compensated for every one of those years, don't they? It's just, it's, That's they're, right. going to, they're going to have to give guarantees. They're not going to have, you know, they, they need to get guarantees back. There's a mutual obligation, a concept, isn't it, you know? And it, it kind of needs to be a bit more of a, an open market, you know? Like, I'm not a market person, you know, I'm not an economist, mm. but I, I can sort of see that um, if you've sequestered carbon on your property and you decide, oh, well, I'm going to clear that and, and turn it into pasture, as long as you are... Ca- if you account for the carbon that you earn and you, you basically get income from that, if, you, if you've got 1,000 tonnes of carbon and you need to clear it to do that work, you go to the market and you, you buy those credits back. So mm. it's, a, it's just like having stock. Yep. You know, I think trees can be seen as livestock, as, as, fruit truck, as fruit, but particularly livestock. If you've got it, you can trade it. And mm. if you decide you want to go into another thing... You're cash it in. Cash it in, mm. cash it in at yep. the market price. Maybe yep. one you... When you sold the credits, they might have been worth 10 tonnes. Mm, mm. When you go to buy them back, if they're 40 tonnes, you're going to go, oh, well, if I'm going to make, fo- you know, if the market's strong, you'll hang on to them. Mm, yeah. So, again, it's it's really about, and the market is only going to, the market's only going to have a strong price if people can have confidence. Yeah, that's exactly right, isn't it? And that's what we need to do. And these, these take time, you mm, know. Like mm. We've been doing the carbon stuff for about 20 years. Yeah. And I think if you look at any industry, macadamias, it does take a generation really yeah. to get it firing and it's early days for that and it's been yeah. a, it was a very difficult i mean it's a hard road to hoe wasn't it i mean like i remember in the early days of trying to talk to people about carbon and carbon trading and you know you still get idiots out there who go oh carbon dioxide it doesn't exist because i can't see it or you know like you just kind of people find it very difficult to conceptualize what it is and oh how can gases weigh something and all sorts of other questions that yeah. they come up with and those questions are more and more have been addressed most people have now got a fairly good grip on the, some some of the basics of it's a total it. mindset change though yeah. when people come into this country they were sort of forced to clear the blocks that they were given That's or right. bought or whatever. Mm. You can have this as long as you can show that you can put the money into clearing it. Mm. Um, and 
the backbreaking labour. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, and the environment was the enemy to be got rid of, you know. Mm. And now we're saying, well, we've got to have these environmental services. You've got to retain some of this stuff. Um, we just got to really... Food. Glory. <laughs> the gremlins strike back. Back. Yeah, so um, with things like um, the, the straight carbon value, if we get people or encourage people to plant for a number of reasons, like because of koala habitat, uh, koala corridors, for example... Um, plus they've got the carbon value of it. But if there's other environmental services like the fact that it's providing a corridor, we have to put a value on that. We have to compensate them for it and be yep. prepared to. Mm. Yeah, that's right. So are there organisations that farmers can, you know, join or, 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 or support that will help in this way? Or there, are, there, are there schemes that they're, they're able to get online now and have a, have a look at and, and register for their interest in this, uh, you know, so that you, that you know of? That yeah, you can, sure. I mean, yeah. I, I had a meeting um, this week in Byron with a group called Zero Emissions Byron. Yep. So they've taken on, they're a not-for-profit organisation who sort of want to see Byron kind of account more for... For the impacts and so they're looking to try and raise funds to be able to provide landholders with some sort of support for tree planting programs uh lismore city council's our city council here's done a fantastic job mm. they really yes, are working hard mm. you know I, I you can't might not like their public art but they actually are doing a good job behind the scenes absolutely there's a very <laughs> dedicated crew of people there who have been working tirelessly and i think if you look around the world it's a it's a world-class example of how to try and engage Communities and Lismore did something very, very uh, courageous, mm. which was to levy, you know, and to go in there and provide uh, a system of ongoing funding. So they create, uh, they've created a levy system that then they can reinvest. And these are one of the things that we really do need those sort of stable platforms, demonstrations. I think farmers in particular, they want to see things. What's this going to look like? You know, it's one thing to tell somebody. We, that's part of the reason why I think you need the slow uptake and mm. that can be a positive thing because yep. you, you, know, you can actually show people what things look like and I'm managing a few older rainforest plantations now or you know, help assisting mm -hmm. with the management and you can walk through, I can walk, people can see these things. They can actually they can look at what it costs, they can see what they get and it's really another form of property development. Yeah. And yeah. the systems, those systems are doing a great job as well in terms of looking after the catchments. Mm. So that's the other thing is Rouse County Council, another institution who are doing a great job of mm. trying to, to look after water. Everyone realises water is the resource of the future. Sure. Mm. And the more we can do to improve water quality. So, for example, just been doing a really interesting study with one of the master's students at Southern Cross Uni looking at soil permeability. Soil act, can act as a bank, as yep. a buffer. Mm. When we get these really intense rainfall events like Cyclone Debbie, if we can improve, in, increase the amount of soil, uh, organic material in the soil, yep. the soil acts really as a water tank. It's a so big sponge. Absolutely, huge sponge, and it becomes much more resilient. You, mm. you don't get the velocity, you don't get yep. the, the, the sheet erosion that ends up causing the big issues and when you get the drought there's some water left in the ground that that's keeps it. coming out into the streams and that's absolutely right you know yeah. and it, you know if you look at a uh, you know if you want to look at farm productivity every percentage of um organic material you get in your soil will adds to productive capacity mm. yep so you know you get those feedback mechanisms and so you, you know this is nothing new people have been doing this for thousands of years it's just if we can actually provide the proper incentives for farmers to to go, okay, well, I'm going to build my soil. 
Mm. You know, like you can negative gear your bloody house, but you can't negative gear your soil. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you probably can actually, but, you know, we need to get those sort of mechanisms. So, so encourage them to for people to make those investments. Yeah, so there's got to be ways. Of, uh, what about um, like uh, training programs for farmers that you know of? Are there, are there good places that the farmers can go to get uh, this kind of knowledge to Absolutely. up skill? Absolutely. Uh, groups like Soil Care. Soil you know, Care. So you've got local groups who are just doing a sensational job. Mm. These are people who are completely committed to these notions of building soil. Mm. Um, we've got a fantastic soil scientist at Southern Cross University, Dr John Grant. Mm. Again, people who are really world-class and can provide those, you know, provide farmers with very clear steps, you know, like this is what you've got now and that's one of the things we need to do. We need to look at what we've got and it's always important to know where, what base you're working from, mm. you know, play to your strengths. Yeah. How can I move this in the direction I want to go? So there are, there's, so the university is looking at trying to build capacity in this space. There are. They've got uh, a, a regenerative agriculture. Is there a regenerative agriculture degree or something that they're doing? Well, they're certainly talking about it. Right. Um, I think, you know. There's a centre for a, a organic agriculture, is yep, it? Yeah, yep, there is. And so there's a great opportunity here. Mm. And particularly in this part of the world to to look at regenerative agriculture and as a mechanism for, you know, not just food security but actually generating, you know, profitability into the future. These yeah. is, these are hard numbers. You know, if you talk to agronomists, they will tell you that if you invest in in soil building soil, you will have an asset that will be worth, you know, it, it's competitive in terms yeah. of building that that yeah. type of. Asset, good return on investment is yep. what you're saying. Yep, I think there's acceptance too, or realization that this is the case um, right across the board. We had Parkinson, was it the other week, resigned from his job as the top bureaucrat in Australia, oh, yeah. yep. and yep. he said, you know, that the most efficient, effective way to do this is to put a price on carbon. Mm. Yep. And he's worked for all colours of government, and um, I think Tony Abbott tried to sort of get rid of him and had to bring him back because he couldn't do without the knowledge. Um, so there's an understanding, a realisation that that's there and I think probably somewhere down the track that will spread and it will be the go-to model that we must get to. Um, so, yeah, it's, um, it's just that we've had this sort of hiatus in the middle. Yeah, look, things were looking very promising. They were. I remember yeah. at the time. It was fantastic. Yeah. And, and again, I think just you'd need to restore that confidence. So I think, you know, that that's the thing. It does take time. One of the positives from that was... You know, at the at that period around 2008, um, there were a lot of cowboys who came in. They could sort of see that this market was just about to take off, and it's amazing. Yeah. You know, it becomes then a financial services market, hmm. and this is maybe why there's been a lot of kind of concerns. And I I share those concerns. As soon as you start to create a, a kind of financial services type approach to this, you get the sharks. You get the sharks swimming. Hmm. So you know. You, Nobody wants to swim with those sharks. So. Well, it comes back to the regulators. They've got to regulate this and sort of control how it happens. We had the same thing with the solar boom, um, all these dodgy operators, and then it's sort of a negative impact on everybody and everyone's sort of, oh, we can't go there and the government starts pulling back its funding and um, rebates. Um, we've just got to have good regulations. Um, I guess really we've got to get the communities all sort of talking and sort of f trying to find a path creatively to go forward. Yeah, and I think it's I think it's also about innovation. It's never been easier to sort of generate a local product and sell it. You know, so for farmers now, people are value adding. You know, people are realizing that on a on within the farm landscape, just selling things that you used to do. So I think 
The other thing is, and we said this earlier about farmers, landholders participating, and I think that's really the, the great way of making this work is if they can make it work at their level, you can then try and clip the wings of the financial services guys a little bit and make it kind of work on the ground. What you touched on there is really important though. This is a product that doesn't even move. Yep. You don't even deliver it to the market. No. It's That's at right. the market, it is. sitting there. Yep. That's a wonderful That's thing amazing, for a farmer. Actually, it is an amazing yeah. thing. Yeah. Actually, it's similar in some ways to the solar energy. It's yeah. you know, actually being able to have renewable energy produced on site and consumed on site, and it becomes a huge boon, huge money-making exercise for the person, for everybody involved. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's one of these, the circular economy, like people, actually, I don't know if this... This may be slightly tangential, but I was hearing stuff about uh, the slowdown in uh, in in car registrations. I was, I was listening to a podcast just uh, of about about electric bikes being taken up in the cities and, and car registrations dropping off, and the, and the sale of new cars disappearing. and And it made me think about the growth economy, and it means as people make sustainable choices, the growth in sort of consumption you know, reduces and that will appear to traditional economists to be a, a negative for the economy, but in effect it will actually be a strengthening of the economy. Yeah. And that's and that's is, is, it seems to be have similar qualities like all of this. Yeah, and I think too the this is where the linkages to markets as well, you know, like we you know millennials are making they're really uh, in terms of their consumption, they want to know where's this come from. They're still mm. consuming, they're interested, but they're they're really driving the market. So this is where things like, if you've got a an oil product that says we're koala friendly and we can point you to where we've put in um, e- concrete efforts mm. uh, to try and restore habitat, then this has a marketing angle. So this is where, you know, the market needs to be embraced in some ways. Obviously, it can distort things, but then. It can also be a force for education and discernment so people can make informed choices. But then landholders, producers need to get on board and mm. that's where I think mm. the, we're going to see big changes in the next five years as people can market more directly. A farmer can market yeah. the environmental services they're producing on their parcel of land and mm. we've got companies like BHP at the moment who are saying, look, we don't need convincing. Right. Now I've worked in in the on the Tibetan plateau. They don't need convincing. They've been planting trees for over forty years mm. and investing billions in doing it. Mm. You know, these are you know they they know and it's it's a very tangible output. Mm. You know, at the end of the day, you've got something there which is it's bricks and mortar, but it's not. It's 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 cellulose and lignin. Yeah. But it's the same sort of deal. It's something mm. real. Mm. And and you mentioned BHP. It is true, isn't it? Their their recent statement uh, includes uh, you know their their commitment to uh, 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 tree planting. Uh, as as a, as a, as a financial uh, enterprise, and yep. they're, they're not just doing this to, for a feel good factor for, for, to try and save the planet. I mean that that is part of their motivation, but they're also saying we can make money out of being in this in this business. And yep. they're, they're, there's going to be other big corporations who come along into your industry, you know, soon as following BHP, aren't there? Really, yeah, right. I mean, there's a huge pool of institutional wealth that are looking for for projects. And I know in the um, the ethical investment field. They're struggling to find the sort of investments that they can actually, you know, structured in such a way that they can actually put their money into them. They'd mm. love to see them, mm. but they do need to pay their way. You know, mm. they have a responsibility to return 5 or 7%, you know, mm. if they can. Mm. Um, and I think that's where you need a secure market mm. and that's where, you know, hopefully we're going to get there. Yep, yep. We must. Yeah, that's great. BHP is really interesting because they sort of, they've said, they've come out and put $400 million towards having a zero carbon footprint 
of their own, all their mining industries, but or operations, but they're still exporting carbon. Yeah, they've said that they're going to. So they're caught uh, between two models. Well, but they said that but they're, 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 not, they're not going to abandon profitable businesses uh, uh, precipitously. They're not going to ditch uh, anything that's that's making them money right now. But they're going to stop investing in uh, in coal. Uh, they, 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 when asked, the, the CEO when asked, I, I listened to his speech in the Q and A afterwards, and he was sort of saying that he would. They're not going to ditch uh, oil exploration even immediately. They might still be open to doing some more of that because it has a short term return. Turn, but anything that's they're looking at things over the 10 to 20 year time scale and and they're saying that basically that it doesn't stack up fossils don't stack up for them anymore uh, on on that scale and they're going to be looking for but that's the other thing they're doing they're actually acting as a huge industry leader and a huge yes. voice within that industry saying or signing this is the way we've got to go yeah we're going to take our supply chain with us is what their, their commitment is and that's what's mm. really remarkable about what their, their recent statement is that they've come out saying they're not just going to do this for their their offices and, and make you know change their light bulbs and things they're going to actually change and, and not even just you know their mining operations so that they're carbon neutral they're going to make sure that that their supply chain is carbon neutral over the over the medium term and that's that's going to really shake the tree it is yeah. yeah i mean that's what that's what's required these are market leaders and this is the sort of change we've needed and it, this is where it's coming from mm. again we've always looked to our politicians to drive these changes and we're never going to get that it's no. really going to come from those market leaders people who don't need convincing they're mm. going okay we need to we can see an opportunity they mm. can see that first the those early movers they they've got an opportunity they're going to do their best but again they're going to need a bit of support. They're going to need some good science. That's right. They do need support, yeah. Well, Kevin, look, thank you for coming in. This has been fantastic. fantastic. We're going to have to wrap it up, unfortunately, but we'd like to have you back. Sure. Uh, you know, like to keep us up to date with developments in the field because it's right. obviously, as I say, you, you've got uh, all of this knowledge and and, uh, and experience. We'd like to hear some more stories about some of your uh, your adventures overseas and, and, and around here, actually. So... Uh, Will you come back for us? Absolutely. Fantastic. Thanks, Sean. No worries. That's fantastic. Yeah, we've got a little loud hailer here, so stuff that you want to put out there too, you should uh, you make use of it. Yeah, if, there you. are, if you've got events that, that, again, as I say, like some of the farmers who are listening would like to know about, um, you know, like let us know. There are things going on that they, you'd like to invite people to come along to. We'd love to publicise them. Great. Will do. Thank yeah. you. Good on you. Cheers, mate. Well, we'll go to a track and we'll be right back. Are you looking for the courage to face the hard facts about our environmental crises? Do you want honest reporting on the global solutions that are at our fingertips? Would you like to know what simple, effective local actions you can take to make a positive difference to the state of the world today? Tune in to Environmental As Anything on 92.9 River FM every Saturday from 2 to 5 for all the news, interviews and analysis you need to make the future you want. For the future, we're hand in hand.